Welcome to the Fod Eater Fod Pass. <laughs> hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another uh, Frothcast. I uh, I gotta say, man, I'm really enjoying this Anchor app. Um, not too much I, I can really add to what probably uh, anybody else on here uh, already thinks or has, has said already. Just really easy to use. Very cool community. A lot of OSR and RPG folks in general using it. It's kind of got this cool social media aspect where you can you know like and follow each other's podcasts and stuff. Even leave people voice messages. And um, it's pretty awesome. I was listening to... Uh, one of Joe the Lawyer's episodes, and uh, you know, he mentioned that this kind of feels almost like the excitement of the old uh, blog uh, explosion from some years back. And I was thinking about that, and it's it's a little bit different. It's almost like it's reversed in some ways because sitting to blog for me would take a lot of time commitment, take some time, put up some links, put up images, get everything right, and. Uh, to just talk and do a podcast is much quicker. Whereas for the, uh, you know, consumer or person viewing it, you know, you can usually read through a blog post in just a couple minutes. And then sometimes for, to listen to a podcast, it's more of a commitment. I'm finding that myself. I want to like, you know, check out everybody's stuff and, and that kind of thing. But, um, you know, you run into kind of just a time limit to where you just don't have the time to sit and spend with it. So, Anyway, we'll see how it all kind of shakes out in the end. Um, one thing it made me think about is, you know, I want to go big, try to get some listeners. What's bigger than some mega dungeons? So that's what I want to talk about today. Uh, but first, I uh, got uh, a voicemail on here from uh, Larry from Follow Me and uh, Follow Me and Die, who incidentally he has a podcast on here he's got uh, the follow me and die blog and then also i've noticed him putting up some stuff uh, on uh, drive through some products that look like they could really kind of fit into just about any campaign like some <coughs> city stuff and things like that so let's hear what he had to say real quick hey jeremy this is larry with follow me and die i've listened to your first episode of your frothcast welcome to podcasting uh as far as the topic of Streaming games, uh, I can watch some, but the problem is they take like four hours, and if you're going to sit and watch it for four hours, like I say, it's got to be really entertaining, and even the ones that are entertaining, I four hours, I can get a lot of something else done, so uh, maybe if they had some that were in smaller snippets, that's one thing that might get people that are of my frame of mind not wanting to watch it play i'm in the mindset i'd rather play than watch so uh but i think you had some good points there about how to get people to watch it look forward to the next episode so yeah i couldn't agree more with everything uh larry said there reason i posted about it in a blog uh god blogged about it the reason i podcasted frothcasted about it really was because i surprised myself by actually starting to enjoy one because uh, the first few I saw, I turned off in like a few seconds, didn't even really, you know, didn't register with me at all. So, and I'm watching them on YouTube so I can pause them. I'm not sitting for four hours to watch it. No, nobody's got time for that. I don't even like to watch a 
movie in the theater anymore if it's two hours. It's, I don't know if it's my attention span or my bladder or what. So anyway, uh, appreciate the feedback. Appreciate people that have listened and everything else. So um, so anyway, getting to the, today's topic, Mega Dungeons. So this was something that I was planning a long time ago as a huge blog post called the great OSR mega dungeon roundup. And my goal was to talk about all the main mega dungeons, give a little blurb on everything, links to buy them, this, that, and the other turned out it was just too much work. Uh, I just kind of lost track of it somewhere two years ago <laughs> and, um, it just, uh, and never went back to it. I thought I might, and then I had some formatting errors with stuff on it and I'm not the best with that and kind of gave up on it. Now with podcasting, it's a lot easier for me to talk about as opposed to spending a couple hours trying to work it out on blogger. So anyway, I had uh, some ideas on OSR Mega Dungeons. I went to the old OSR uh, Google Plus group to ask, see if there was anything obvious I was missing and just talk about the philosophy and everything. So I was going to focus it on just the OSR stuff. But now with the ability to podcast, I thought what I would do is talk about what Mega Dungeons are. The pre-OSR, you know, classic Mega Dungeon inspirations that came before and then kind of go over some of the big major OSR stuff that's out there. Doubt it's going to be comprehensive. I'm imagining someone will leave me a voice uh, message on this thing right when it's published that I missed something obvious. So I'm not trying to be too comprehensive. I do think I'm going to give you a pretty good overview uh, and kind of my thoughts on them and everything because I, I have not obviously not played through everything that kind of go against what a mega dungeon is. If, uh, if I had played through all this stuff, there's not enough time, but, um, I still have, have read through it enough to where I feel like I can give my own opinion on it. So anyway, all right, let's talk about the stuff that's come before. Um, no, actually let's talk about what a mega dungeon is. So everybody, you know, just by the title, by the, by the name, you know, it's going to be a big dungeon, a huge dungeon, right? But there's got to be something to differentiate it from just a big dungeon to take it to that mega dungeon level. And, you know, different people have different opinions. One of the things about it, when I was asking people, you know, what to rank recommendations or whatever, a lot of stuff they mentioned, you know, doesn't necessarily feel like a mega dungeon to me or it didn't to other people. And, you know, when you're people are just throwing out ideas or whatever. But I've got kind of a compilation here of some different people's quotes um, that I had put together for the blog that I thought I would read. It would be kind of helpful. Uh, this different OSR folks talking about it. And these are some pretty good definitions and, and thoughts. So Will Arnold said that a mega dungeon doesn't have one ecology or biome. It has multiples. Uh, James West, great artist. I, think, I believe he does a zine too. Uh, forgetting the name of the zine right now, but it should feel like a cosmos of its own with internal rules and organic populations that react and intersect with each other like an ant farm with monsters. So uh, James Malashevsky believe I'm pronouncing that right. He started out Dwemer Mount uh, and has done a lot of other stuff, uh, obviously famous for Grognardia. said that there's no universally accepted definition of a mega dungeon. I tend to use it to mean a dungeon that would be big enough to be the primary or sole focus of a D&D &D campaign for years, right? 
Uh, Wayne Rossi, uh, I've played with a couple times online. Uh, uh, does a lot of stuff. Has done a zine and stuff before. Um, says a mega dungeon is a dungeon that can't be cleared and can serve as a tentpole of an ongoing campaign. I like that idea of it being something that can't ever really be cleared. And then uh, Joseph Block, he did uh, Castle of the Mad Archmage, which is one that I will be talking about. Um, has a Greyhawk Grognard um, blog. Says, my personal definition of a mega dungeon isn't based on size so much as the notion that a mega dungeon can't even actually be finished. There's no particular plot to be solved, although there may be a bunch of different plots happening. No way to permanently clear the level. New things are always moving back in eventually. And possibly new physical construction happening as well. So themes starting to emerge here. These are really centerpieces of the campaign, if not the whole campaign. Things that are so impossibly large that it's not just like another segment of, of the campaign and adventure that you finish. Uh, more something that you may never finish. It takes forever. Like I'm running my daughter through Stonehell. And uh, it's taken us forever just to clear a tiny part. And I told her that, you know, she'll be in college by the time we finish it, if ever, you know. <laughs> so, um, uh, for some reason, what one thing that, that really responded and, uh, you know, that really resonated with me is that it's something that can't ever be cleared. And that's partly because, you know, stuff is going to get repopulated, but also just how large it is and just how massive it is and how even if you go down this corridor, this pathway, this pathway... You might not ever even see the whole thing. It's so huge, right? So when you take, when you use that kind of framework and start applying it to some of these other things that people had mentioned to me, other products, it's, you know, I, I it makes it easier for me to kind of say, eh, that's borderline. So maybe it's not something I talk about. And this is, goes with classic products too, like uh, Temple of Elemental Evil, right? It's, it's huge, multiple levels, and it's got the elemental nodes. Is it a mega dungeon? It's arguable, right? Because you can definitely clear it. Uh, many people have. You can play it. It's not necessarily the sole focus of a campaign because you've got all that Hamlet stuff before it, some other kind of stuff happening around it. And if you finish it, you know, you might be, you know, 10th level or something, but it's not a forever type dungeon thing, right? So probably not a mega dungeon. You know, other things you might be tempted to mention, you know, like uh, something like Tegel Manor has that kind of mega dungeon feel because it's so massive. But is it really a mega dungeon? I would have to end up arguing no, right? So, food for thought. You know, all this stuff, I'd love to get other people's uh, opinions and stuff. So, if you're on here leave a message about it if you're um and we can you know i can maybe make another episode talking more about it and then also uh if i post it on social media somewhere else and you want to make comments i'll definitely want to read it and see people's ideas you know i don't have the right answers to everything just kind of throwing this out more to talk about it so let's talk a little bit about kind of the origins of the mega dungeon this is not an osr invention in fact i would say that Mega dungeons really are in the DNA or the, you know, collective unconscious of uh, Dungeons and Dragons players, you know, from the very beginning. Because you look at Castle Greyhawk, the uh, dungeons under Castle Blackmoor, these are the really the first mega dungeons because they were 
just as got kind of got mentioned by some of these OSR folks, uh, they were the focus on the campaign. They were the basically the campaign in a lot of ways. Um, you know, you can search around, find descriptions. Gygax gave all the different levels, and it was at least ten levels. Some of this stuff, I'm not the you know I'm not a historian like some of these people, but so uh, but you know you can can look around for that. Never got published, of course, at least in Gygax's form. Did start to get published in some ways with the Castle Zagig stuff that I'll get into a little bit later. But uh, And then really the Blackmore stuff never really got published either unless you want to talk about First Fantasy Campaign, Judges Guild stuff, which, you know, maybe has a little bit of, maybe comes from some Arneson's notes or whatever. But, you know, the, the, when they were running this stuff, they're creating the game. They're not, you know, jotting down perfect notes and descriptions, everything, or, you know, there were no published adventures. They weren't, you know, thinking about publishing it. So what it actually was, what those things, you know, what those mega dungeons actually consisted of is really kind of lost to time. It was never recorded, um, you know, in any specific exact way, but that's kind of the beginnings of it. The idea of, uh, these never-ending, super massive, deep dungeons that are the entire focus of a campaign. So, <clears throat> it takes a while, I think, then to get to, you know, I think every kid in America all, and all over the world would be making their own levels of dungeons on graph papers, but to get to something else comparable to a mega dungeon, I would have to say, now, here, here's where we get into where you can debate it. You get into the Judges Guild stuff. Caverns of Thracia. Is it a mega dungeon? I think it's arguable. I think it can be finished. I think, uh, you know, it's not a campaign in and of itself. Is it a big dungeon? Yeah, it's a big dungeon. But I think the, the, the thing closest to a mega dungeon that Judges Guild ever did is probably the uh, city-state stuff. Uh, Invincible Overlord and uh, World Emperor. Because those are things that, while they're not dungeons, they act in a lot of ways as dungeons. It's, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shops, NPCs to interact with, little plot hooks and rumors that happen. Stuff is constantly changing. There's dungeons and stuff on top of it. So, although not really a dungeon, a city, I think you could say that those kind of fit that mega dungeon mold in some way and they're certainly massive enough to where you could never really you know knock on every door interact with everything follow every rumor i mean you, you maybe you could but you would have been running it since it came out right so as we get into second edition now, I, obviously, there are probably some third-party stuff that I don't know of or that's not coming to my mind, but I'm going to hit the, the highlights here. So it, as we get into, you know, second edition D&D, &D, we start to kind of see a little bit of a resurgence of, um, of the Mega Dungeon kind of concept, though it's not called that until really the OSR days. But um, Undermountain comes out for uh, Forgotten Realms. Now, this is a frustrating product. It's got awesome maps, but it kind of got, well, for lack of a better phrase, half-assed. 
uh, a bit because not all the rooms are keyed by any stretch. It's a small segment of the maps are keyed. They did do a couple of box sets for it and some supplemental adventures. So all together, it is absolutely massive. Could definitely be focus of your campaign. Could probably never be cleared, especially if the DMs, you know, stocks it behind it. But it's more of a, you know, I think the only um, the product that doesn't come fully stocked that can get away with it is maybe B1 because that feels deliberate and it was a kind of a learning tool. With Undermountain, it almost feels a little bit like a ripoff. And the other bad thing about it is the descriptions, the room descriptions are super, super long and super, super complicated, which makes it even harder to run, um, certainly to sit down and run because, you know, uh, and we'll talk about usability on some of this later stuff, how much better it's gotten with the OSR stuff. But anyway, there's also Greyhawk Ruins. Now, this is a product that, you know, it's supposed to mimic the Castle Greyhawk stuff, but this is after Gygax left TSR, obviously. Um, and, you know, so just by calling it that, you're automatically going to have some people that don't like it so much, a uh, little negativity to it. If they called it something else. I'm convinced it would have been, you know, still be much uh, more well-regarded. But it's not bad, even regardless. Um, it's actually kind of one of those surprising things if you can find it cheap. It's got huge maps that, uh, you know, some people have pointed out have some issues with actually uh, kind of, you know, matching up and having exact kind of measurements. But they're really, I don't think, meant to be exact in some ways. They're really colorful. They're strange. The thing just keeps going and going. It's massive. It could definitely be a campaign. So it certainly is a mega dungeon, whether you like it or not. That's kind of a matter of opinion. I think it's pretty cool. It's not in my top, you know, five even, but I think it's worth mentioning because uh, it's a mega dungeon from that kind of earlier period. So uh, moving forward, you know, and getting into the, the, the later, the third edition stuff. Uh, there's one I know that got put out, Castle White Rock, that um, I, I think is Goodman Games. I never bought it. I know it, they eventually compi compi uh, compiled several adventures into like a box set for it. It's probably pretty cool. Never read it, but someone had mentioned it, and I was like, oh, I should mention that. Probably is the size where you could focus the campaign on it. But the main one, I think, from the third edition days that uh, deserves mention... It'll come up again is the Rappin' Athok, uh, that I guess started as uh, maybe what sword and sorcery games, or you know that now has become Frog God. Um, I don't know the exact history between behind sword and sorcery and necromancer games and and Frog God and how that exactly worked, but uh, it's Bill Webb's you know I guess original design from a game you know his old game or whatever that has gone through various. Uh, iterations and now actually has a fifth edition version out so that's one that starts to rear its head there in the third edition uh, but I believe it was Pathfinder version that first kind of got compiled into this huge you know like 700 page book or whatever but I'll get to that one in a little bit so you start to see this pattern and in third edition I don't think there was too much of a push for these because the game had changed a lot the way combat was handled you know, level of complexity and everything didn't necessarily fit it. Certainly by the time you get to 4th edition, 
And uh, sorry, I got interrupted. But by the time you get to fourth edition, the game had changed to where it's you know more so combat oriented, and the combat's so much slower that no one even really bothered to try to do a mega dungeon with it. I, I tried to do something just for the fun of it because I was house ruling a lot of 4e. I got one level in and kind of abandoned the project. So, so anyway, that's kind of a little bit of the history of kind of just a brief, really overview of some of the main, you know, mega dungeon points that bring us to the, uh, the OSR. So <clears throat> in talking about this, you know, I've already talked a little bit about how, what we're considering a mega dungeon, what we aren't. So there's some stuff that people mention that, you know, I can kind of mention as an aside, maybe like uh, Dyson's Delve, for example, but I don't think, you know, it's a big, it's a big, or it's got a lot of levels, but it's not super huge. There's a few peripheral things like that that I'm not going to really spend any real time on. Also, some people had, uh, you know, mentioned stuff that actually isn't out or, you know, you can't buy. Like, uh, I know Stefan Pogue, uh, artist, is working on something. I know there's some, you know, copies of maybe a draft copy of something he was doing a while back floating around, but it's not something you can really buy or go look at yourself. So not really going to get into anything like that. Similarly, um, castles and crusades has started one castle off but it's only got a few levels right now. So it's not really at the mega dungeon point. So not too much, you know, point in going into much detail on that. I really think when you talk about OSR mega dungeons, that you can kind of talk about the big six, okay? Um, Castle of the Mad Archmage, this is in no particular order. Stonehell, Rappanathic, Barrow Maze, An Anomalous Subsurface Environment, and Dwemer Mount. I think those are kind of like the big six. Some might say Maze of the Blue, Blue Medusa belongs on here. I don't really consider that a mega dungeon. It's huge. It's a really cool map. It's a cool book. No doubt about it. But I think it can, I don't know. Maybe it is to you. Maybe it's on the line there, but I don't, it's not quite to the mega dungeon point for me. Um, so these are the big ones. Uh, the ones that you can buy, um, the ones that people talk about, 99% of the time when someone says, hey, recommend a mega dungeon to me, they're going to recommend one of those ones that I just mentioned. So I'm just going to go you know, piece by piece and talk about each of those just a little bit. Um, so yeah, we are, I'll go ahead and talk about Rappanathic since we already talked about that. This thing is huge. It's got a, you know, wilderness setting with it. If you're familiar at all with the frog god swords and wizardry stuff or any other stuff, really, it's got that, uh, kind of same type setting, a decent organization, pretty good maps, um, and a lot of creativity, a lot of fun. Um, th this is one that, you know, has had multiple iterations. Like I said, it's been in Pathfinder, then they tweaked it back to swords and wizardry. Then, uh, now there's a fifth edition version, um, that you can buy. So can't get really go wrong with it. Um, there's lots of additions and add-ons, map booklets, hidden, you know, additional levels, this, that, and the other. You can search around the internet and find maps that other people have made of, uh, when they've tried to run it online and stuff like that. So it's well supported. Um, it's, it's pretty fairly expensive, but it's a nice book, you know, sizable leather kind of book, well-made. So 
um, you know, it's rap and ethic. It's a, it's a kind of a, you know, one of well-known amongst different, many different circles of gamers. And, um, it looked like the fifth edition, uh, kickstarted it really well. So you'll probably be hearing more about that one, uh, down the line. So, uh, Barrow Maze, uh, Greg Gillespie is like a mega dungeon machine. So you'll notice I didn't mention the Caverns of Archaea, his other one, and actually back to Kickstarter for a new one that he's got that's about some kind of floating wizard island or something like that. I forget the name of it. It's not out yet, but probably Barrow Maze still definitely gets the most mention. Um, and this one is a little bit different. Instead of kind of going deep, it's more of like a linear mega dungeon, lots of different uh, barrows and tombs and stuff like that. It's really undead focused. And what makes this one stand out, this one's for Labyrinth Lord. Um, it, what makes it stand out a lot is it's just really good cartography, really, really good OSR art. So you see a lot of uh, familiar OSR artists in this. Stefan Pogue's got a lot of stuff on that. And uh, it's a really good looking book. Started with a part one and part two, then combined it to a Barrow Maze Complete. If Undead is kind of like, sounds like something, here comes the cat. If that sounds like something you want to spend the whole campaign with that kind of stuff and have that kind of theme, um, you can't really go wrong with it. That's one of the first ones that a lot of people will mention. And I've seen a lot of people that have been running Barrow Maze games for years now. So, All right, let's see which one I want to talk about next. Yeah, so Anomalous Subsurface Environment. It's by Patrick Wetmore. Now, this has two books. One has one level, and then uh, the next book has part two and level two and three. And I believe it's still growing. Like, it's kind of getting mentioned. I think that I think I saw somewhere it's going to grow at some point. Um, but anyway, this is one, um, you know, like most OSR stuff, you can play with just about any system. Uh, what makes this one stand out is kind of just like the creativity and you know, like a kind of a gonzo element. There's a lot of, you know, unusual stuff to this one. If you like a game that doesn't take itself too grim or too seriously, um, you know, if like you're in a dungeon crawl classics, maybe if that sort of thing is your thing, uh, this might be the first one you want, you would might want to check out. Uh, really well done. I've never run this one, but I've got both of the books and, uh, it's filled with a lot of creativity. So that's another one that uh, you'll often see see mentioned. Castle of the Mad Archmage by Joe Block. This one, um, there's like an original draft, I guess, that was floating around the internet for free years back. Maybe just like a passion project project that he was doing. He was trying to kind of base it around Gygax's original Castle Greyhawk stuff. And... Um, and then later, I guess, after he had uh, done his um, Adventures Dark and Deep, kind of retro clone, second edition, you know, what if second edition was written by Gygax uh, thing, and this came out around that time. So this is one where um, it's not all together in one book. You buy, like, the book and a map book and, a, uh, like, a picture book. Um, it's kind of broken that way, so it's... A little annoying to buy, but it actually works out good at the table. And uh, the thing I really like about this one is, you know how I was talking about Undermountain earlier, where it's like paragraph after paragraph of text, and it's just impossible to run or annoying to run? 
This one, everything's really short and concise. You might even have just one line, something like that. It gives the DM a lot of freedom and it doesn't make it so hard to run at the table. Um, you know, with all these ongoing plots, super complicated rooms all the time and all that kind of thing. Um, this one actually, I think too, has the honor of being the largest out of all of these mega dungeons. Some I actually took the time to count the rooms read that to you yeah so let's see of the ones we've talked about so far um, um anomalous subsurface environment has 403 rooms uh over the three levels whereas castle the Mar mad archmage is 1470 rooms and that's just in like the main book uh i think that you know there's like two or three add-ons for this thing too so massively uh huge but surprisingly, kind of a slim volume because it's not a lot of wordiness and uh, read a lot, you know, it's not so verbose and, and long-winded on it to where you're, you know, um, you know, you lose track of where you're going. Because one thing with the Mega Dungeon is there's so many ways to go, you know, it's not this linear thing where this happens, this happens, this happens. So in order to allow your players the freedom to go here, there, everywhere, it's it, it it helps to have these short kind of descriptions rooms that you can wrap your ha mind around really quickly because no one's going to read the entire mega dungeon and commit this thing to memory before running it's just never going to happen so <clears throat> let's talk about dwimmer mount now this one has both a labyrinth lord version and an adventurer conqueror king version I think, I don't know if this is the reason for it, but this is one started by uh, James Malashevsky from Grognardia. For whatever reason, it was Kickstarter. I back to Kickstarter. Whatever reason, he was unable to complete it. Um, I don't want to get into all that because I don't even know really the story. I know it was, a, you know, it was delayed, we can say that. Um, but, and it was eventually finished, I guess, by the uh, Adventure Conquer King people. Um this is one that has got really high production values. It's really, really nicely done, but um, it's a little bit more difficult to run. It's got its own kind of campaign setting built into it. It's a long history built into it, kind of class options. So this is one that definitely fits as far as um, like the whole idea of the dungeon as a campaign setting. Um, it's got 715 rooms apparently, 13 levels. Uh, so it's definitely massive. Certainly no one's going to argue it's not a mega dungeon. It's just not, if you're just a kind of a pick up and play type DM, which I like to be most of the time, might not be, uh, the first thing you'd look at, but again, production values, the quality of the book and everything makes up for that in a lot of ways. So, and so the last of the, the big six is... Stone Hell. Stone Hell is probably my favorite out of all of them. Sorry, kind of got to interrupt for a second. Like I was saying with Stone Hell, might be my favorite. Maybe favorite isn't the right word. It would probably be the one that I would recommend the most strongly to someone. Uh, it's by Michael Curtis, who's done a lot of writing uh, for, uh, you'll see his stuff for Goodman Games, a bunch of other places. Really nice guy, too. Uh, I've gotten some good deals buying stuff from him on Google+. Plus. Uh, cool guy. And anyway, this one is for Labyrinth Lord. There's two books. He did a um, you know, Stonehell one, uh, one, and then there's uh, an edition. 
So I believe the first one is like 671 rooms, according to someone's count. So it's probably with the second book over that thousand mark, if that's important to you. But uh, the thing that's really great about this one is the layout. It's unbelievably well laid out, well thought out. For something as complex as this, you'll have like a couple of pages of introduction per level. And then the maps are broken into four, you know, each level is broken into like four quadrants. And it's got an easy map page, wandering monsters table. And then on the next page, it's got all the, uh, the rooms and everything. So this is one when I was going to, you know, start running for something for my daughter, if I was going to pick up something and play. I just go to this because you don't have to spend too much time to get into it and get right into it. So, you know, it's a great, really good, good stuff. So looking back at the, uh, the big six here, uh, Castle of Mad Archmage, Stonehell, Rappanathic, Barrow Maze, Anomalous Subsurface Environment, and Dwimmer Mount, what I'm calling the big six. What are the, I've kind of talked about pros and cons of each. You know, one of the things you want to think about is how you're going to buy it, you know, right? So if, uh, if you're looking for print and want your, the best deal, you know, you generally get the best deals on Lulu because you'll end up with those free shipping codes and discounts and that kind of thing. Stonehell and, Ston uh, and Anomalous, I keep saying Astonishing Swordsman because I see the ASE. Um, but Stonehell and Anomalous Subsurface Environment are both on Lulu. You can get those, you know, reasonably priced and they're both really good. As far as the more expensive stuff, uh, Gillespie stuff is never cheap. It's very high quality, very well organized. Uh, a lot of that cost, you can see where it goes because it's filled with art. So it is not by any means a knock on it to say it's expensive, but the books are tend to be, you know, on the expensive side. And Frog God stuff is the same way. Um, it's, it's well made, you know, and everything, but uh, it's, a, you know, buying a Rappanathic even used can maybe run you, you know, certainly minimum $50. I would say you're more likely going to pay 70 bucks for it, something like that. Now you'll get years and years of gaming out. It's all relative, but I'm just, you know, telling you what it is. Castle of Mad Archmage is on a drive through. You're buying those three booklets, but you're still going to come out, you know, somewhere in the middle of what we're talking about here. Dwemer Mount, you know, is a crapshoot. You can probably find some copies used and stuff in that you know 30 to 50 range i would guess is what those are probably going for i don't know what the exact list price is probably a little higher than that but you know and all this stuff you can probably find cheaper i'm just talking about if you're just going to go buy it from a from the source kind of price more than anything so yeah you know those are the big six and then you start getting into these kind of peripheral mega dungeons going on for us uh, our stuff and um, a lot of these kind of come out of zines, right? So um, there's one in uh, Fight On magazine, it's a great OSR zine that uh, I know you can still buy compilations of those, I think, on Lulu. Um, uh, I think it was called like uh, The Darkness Beneath, maybe. Uh, anyway, I think that it's kind of technically unfinished, but I know there are maybe 12 levels of that that... Uh, all, all kind of written by different authors, and it's pretty cool stuff. If you have those, you're already aware of it. If not, if you want to seek those out and check it out. It's not, so it's not something you can just go buy as a product. You have to buy a bunch of products to get it. That's kind of the same way 
sort of with the, there's a, another kind of serial mega dungeon and the wizards, mutants, laser pistols zine. There is a compilation up of those, the first, I think five of those on Lulu. And then they've since done like a sixth, maybe it's the first six. I don't know. First five or six together. And then they've released one, um, separate that I'm not sure if it's still available, but they were doing a, a new level in each magazine and that kind of gets into more of that gonzo sort of stuff like the asc stuff um if you're into that also some guys did a and mag um that is now defunct but uh, i believe their website and stuff is still up um uh, they have one called castle triskelin or triskelion i guess depending on how you look at it um that I haven't taken too much of a look at, but, um, it certainly qualifies. I don't know if they ever really finished it or if it was just the first several massive levels, but the guy, uh, one of those guys has a, um, castle, uh, Trisklin blog. And it's like every day, I think for years or certainly every week for years, he's put up a new room on it. So it's like a blog you can follow along that just keeps adding rooms to it. That's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, um, other ones that I, uh, other one that I'll mention, it's kind of like the the mega dungeon that got away is the Castles of Gig. Uh, Gary Gygax's last product he was working on with uh, Jeff Telania does Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea. Uh, this is something that just the uh, Upper Works box came out for, along with some of the kind of supplemental material, the Yigsburg book, setting book, and everything. Which I gotta tell you, I tracked it down and I paid a pretty penny for it. I had to have it. Um, unfortunately, stuff's out of print. Probably never will be in print. Apparently, a lot of stuff was finished, but never was going to be able to be released. And I, I mean, this thing was going to be massive and awesome. I mean, just the one box set just kind of covers the upper works and the you know like the first dungeon level, and that's all just in one box set. So that's unfortunately. You know, time goes by and people pass, and uh, it's just unfortunate that that will uh, never happen. That's one of the probably the greatest, um, you know, lost products uh, that there'll ever be, really, if you're a D&D fan. So, other things I wanted to mention as we move from the OSR into... Uh, well, I guess there is one other thing to mention. I've been seeing a lot of talk about this castle old school stuff. It looks like a lot of it's probably just like a lot of random tables, but there's some setting elements to it too. I'm kind of ignorant on it, but this guy that's making this stuff, you see it on uh, drive through and, and everything, is uh, seems pretty prolific. So I've seen a little bit of mention of that. So that might be something if you want to look for something completely new. I'm, like I say, I'm kind of ignorant of it, but I thought I'd mention it because I'm seeing that get mentioned as another uh, Mega Dungeon sort of thing going around. Whew, I'm kind of losing track of time and play, uh, time and place. Uh, kind of like I'm caught in a Mega Dungeon at this point. Um, losing a little bit, but uh, pushing through to uh, get to uh, kind of the closing here. M bringing it back to modern day with 5th edition. So I already mentioned how Rappanathic has got a 5e version that has come out. Uh, Tegel Manor, which I kind of mentioned, that just got kickstarted for an updated version for 5e. 
well, not maybe technically a mega dungeon, it's damn big. And uh, the dungeon of the Mad Mage, the new, you know, come full circle back to creators of Dungeons and Dragons with, uh, you know, with Wizards of Coast, um, you know, doing that now. They've got, you know, the new storyline is all set in Waterdeep. Dungeon of the Mad Mage is a, you know, 10 plus mega dungeon. And uh, the maps are excellent. It's Tim Harton does these uh, Friday freebies. If you look for, if you like to collect kind of dungeon maps to have in your sandbox, or whatever, great cartographer, um, awesome stuff that he puts out for free. He did the maps for it. So it's got that OSR classic D&D feel. And it's absolutely, as opposed to being the old, under mountain where it's kind of you know a few rooms per level kind of you know not the whole thing is filled out this definitely gives little areas in the outsides and the maps where you can expand it but everything is keyed um it's really creative they got a bunch of different authors involved in creating it and so it's just kind of funny how you know dnd has really started with the mega dungeon with gygax and, and and artisan stuff and uh, where we're at now, fast forward all these years, whatever, 40 plus years, uh, 45 years, I guess, just about. Um, and you you start and end with the Mega Dungeon. That only just now occurred to me. Um, that only just now occurred to me as I was recording this. I'm not, you know, that poetic. That wasn't deliberate. But uh, just kind of, it's kind of a beautiful thought when you think about it. For me... There's just some kind of, I don't know want to say romantic, but it's like I was talking about like you're uh, like a collective unconscious in D&D players. You get into the dungeon, search it. The idea of these massive, never-ending mega dungeons, the kind of creativity that goes into it. One thing I would say is I definitely have to tip my hat to all of these authors that are writing this stuff and coming up with it. What a bunch of creative, awesome people to have this much, this many ideas, this many thoughts, that much patience to kind of sit down and put this stuff out that can last other gaming group years and years of, you know, last some years of play. Uh, each of these is really is a gift when you think about it. Um, so anyway. I'm going to listen back to this, and I, I hope it sounded all right. I can tell you one thing. I'm not going to re-record it, so I hope I don't screw up with the, any of the buttons on the way to being done. But um, anyway, um, I, like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I'm really liking the Anchor app. I would encourage anybody that listens to this, if you've ever thought about putting your th ideas out there, um, if Froth can do it, you can do it because this thing's really easy to use. So check that out and be part of the conversation and everything. And um, I appreciate other people that have listened to stuff so far. If you've got any thoughts on this, I'd love to do a follow-up episode where uh, that's got you know voicemails from uh, from different people talking about it and kind of continue the conversation. I'm sure that I've forgotten some stuff. There's plenty of stuff that people had told me before. How about this? And that I just kind of didn't quite think qualified, but I'm sure there's something that I'm missing. It's just the nature of it. When you're talking about something this big, it's easy to miss the, you know, the little things. So anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I definitely enjoyed talking about it. Talk to you guys next time.